Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Figure that one out. Uh, let's, uh, let's start uh, kind of setting the stage for tonight's uh, scripture. You'll remember that we're walking through the Beatitudes. And back in uh, verse 3, uh, Jesus starts out by saying, Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. And the idea behind that is those that are poor in spirit are spiritual beggars. That's what that word poor means. It means beggarly poor. It means that when it comes to us getting approval from God, we got absolutely nothing. Uh, all we can do is just come with our hand out and ask for mercy. And he says, if you come to that point in your life where you realize that's the state you're in, you are one blessed and happy person. Then he went on to verse 4 and he said, blessed are those who mourn. And what we saw is that means is those who grieve over their sin. Listen, Christians do not compromise with sin in their life. Now, that doesn't mean we don't sin. We're all sinners. We still make mistakes, but we don't like it. We never make friends with it. We never just settle in and say, you know what, this is okay. No, Christians don't do that. They grieve over their sin. And then last, uh, a couple weeks ago, we said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who come to the point where they realize that I, I really can't do anything. I can't fight my own battles. I can't uh, create my own righteousness. I just need to submit to the Lordship of, of Jesus in my life. And then tonight, we finally come to the next one in line, which is hungry and thirsty. Now, these, there's a progression to these. And let's read what he says. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So here's the point. If you're a spiritual beggar who mourns or grieves over their sin, and you've come to the point where you've submitted your life to the Lordship of Christ, then the proper response would be for you to hunger and thirst after only what He can give you. That's where this goes. Right now I'm at a point, it's not about me, I can't do it. God, I need what you got. And that's where we are tonight. Now, I, this is a really simple verse to walk through. We're going to do it three things. We're going to first look at what it means to hunger and thirst. We're going to look at what does he mean by righteousness. And then we're going to look at what does he mean by saying that we will be uh, satisfied. So the first thing we want to look at is what does he mean when we say, when he says, blessed are those who hunger and uh, thirst. Now, the, the, the nice thing about this, this isn't a complicated verse, right? We all know what it means to be hungry and thirsty. Now, we don't know that in the way that some people in third world countries know that. We certainly don't know it the way that generations before us knew it. I mean, if we're hungry, we just go to the refrigerator, Right. If there's nothing in the refrigerator, you go to Winn-Dixie or Publix. Or, I mean, it's easy for us to get food. But for the vast majority of the world, even today and in history, it didn't work like that, right? You didn't know where your next meal was coming from. And people knew what it meant to be hungry and thirsty. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with being hungry and thirsty. I always say hunger and thirst is like pain. You know, it's, it, we, we do everything we can to avoid it. 
but without it, life would be a chaos. Do you understand that pain is a good thing? Pain tells you there's something there you need to get away from, right? People with, that don't feel pain have terrible lives. They, they, they get burnt all the time. They have sores all over their... They get all kind of problems. But pain is a good thing. Hunger and thirst is like that. We try to avoid it, but it's actually your body telling you that you need nutrients. So it's not, a, it's not wrong to hunger and thirst. It's a good thing, a normal thing, a necessary thing. In fact, if you go to the doctor, if, you ever, if any of you have ever been really sick, right... You notice one of the first things that goes is your appetite, right? You just don't feel like eating. In fact, if you get sick and go to the doctor, that's one of the questions they'll ask you. Well, how's your appetite? Are you still hungry? Or are you still thirsty? It's actually a, a, an excellent indicator of your physical health. Well, in the same way, spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst is an excellent indicator of your spiritual health. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. And one of the questions we're going to ask ourselves is what are we hungry for spiritually? What are you hungry for spiritually? There's a, there's a scripture in Ecclesiastes. In fact, I don't remember who it was. I was telling somebody about the scripture the other day, and they said, oh, that's really in the Bible? I said, yeah. Ecclesiastes 3.11, which is really an evocative scripture, it says this, He has made everything beautiful in its time, and He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end, or some translations say everlasting to everlasting. So the Bible tells us that God has put eternity into every, per, every man and every woman's heart. Now the question is, what does that even mean? What it means is that God has put a desire for eternal things in our heart, but He's done it in such a way that we don't see that for what it is. Okay? He's put eternity in our heart. We've got this... Basically, what we've got is this restlessness inside of us. St. Augustine said this, Thou made us for thyself, and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. You've heard, you've heard people say probably over the years, everybody's got a God-shaped hole. You've heard that saying, right? That only God can feel. It's this idea that there's this longing inside of us, this restlessness inside of us, that things just can't feel. It, and, and by the way, this is universal. This is a universal trait. It's Americans and Russians and Italians and French people, and, and it doesn't matter about your ethnicity or your race. It's in every single human being. And we try to satisfy that with so many things. We try to satisfy it with money. We try to satisfy it with career, if we can stay busy. We try to satisfy it with sports and entertainment and sex and, and uh, uh, vacations and accomplishments and all these things, but it just will not go away. It just won't go away. We said it, we've been saying it for this for the past few weeks. Ha real true happiness always seems to be just out of your uh, reach. Even when things are going great, you're just worried, well, what's going to happen tomorrow? <laughs> I know something's coming, right? Um, Isaiah 55 2 says this, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Jeremiah said this in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no Water. The idea in both of these scriptures is God says, I am the fountain of living water. 
But instead of drinking from me, you take a, a broken cistern and you go someplace else and you try, to, you try to feed your thirst or quench your thirst through that. I mean, how many of us are like this? Or ha- you may not be today, maybe you were at what point, but you just got this restlessness. There's just, it's like the grass is always greener on the other side. If I could just get this new job, if I could just make more money, if I could just get a new house, if I, you know, if my husband or my wife would just act right, or whatever the case may be, there's always something. If I could just do that, then life would be good, but it won't. You're chasing a dream. It's like a, like a dog chasing its tail. You just go round and round, and you can't ever quite seem to catch it. Now, here's the thing. This longing, this restlessness is put there by God. That's what, that's what Ecclesiastes, he put that in you. It is a constant reminder that you're not meant to be satisfied by relationships, even physical relationships. You're not meant to be satisfied with money and vacations and careers and jobs and, and, and even good things like family. Those things are not meant to satisfy that eternal longing. God, it's like God is constantly pulling you and saying, you're not made for this world. You were made for more than this. Nothing in this world is going to satisfy you because you weren't made for this world. You were made for more than this world. C.S. Lewis, one of his great quotes out of his book, Mere Christianity, said this, and I love this quote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. See, there's this desire. We, We get a thirst, and we can quench that thirst with water. We get a hunger and we can quench that hunger with food. But there's this longing inside of us, this desire, this hunger, this thirst for spiritual things that nothing in this world can feel. And C.S. Lewis said that the explanation for that is you weren't, it wasn't made to be filled by anything in this world. It was made to be filled by God. And even though this, this longing is put there by God to, to draw people to Him, most people... In fact, the majority of people, time and time again, will turn away from Him and go back to those temporary pleasures that never satisfy. They just do it over and over and over again. Second Peter 2.11 says this in kind of a, 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 a rude way, if you will. Peter said this, What the proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to its vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Even though you clean them up, every, even though you get them something good, they'll turn right around and go right back to what they've, all, that, you know, they've always known. We're like a man. I mentioned earlier about going to the doctor. We're like people that go to the doctor and we got this disease and, and, it, and we've got pains from that disease. And all we want the doctor to do is make the pain go away. We don't want the cure. We just want the pain to go away. Now, any doctor that did that wouldn't be, wouldn't be worth his salt because what, if you really want to fix it, you have to go to the core. But we don't, most people, the majority of us, don't want that. We drink at broken cisterns and we eat bread that does not satisfy. Now, to this restlessness and to this longing, Jesus has something to say. And He says it tonight and He says something about how we can satisfy this insatiable restlessness or this insatiable desire. And what he's saying here in Matthew 5, 6 is that there is one thing 
one thing that every man and woman in this place tonight needs, and that is righteousness. That is what you need for your spiritual life. In fact, just as your physical life depends on food and water, your spiritual life depends on righteousness. Let me say that again because Jesus is the one that made this analogy by using hunger and thirst. Just as we hunger and thirst after food to to get what we need for our physical life to sustain us, the same thing is true in our in our spiritual life with righteousness. In fact, let me make a statement and I don't I'm I'm sorry if it offends you, but if you do not hunger and thirst after righteousness, you are either incredibly spiritually sick or more than likely you're spiritually dead. There's, just, there's no other way to say it. If you're in this room tonight and you're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and I'll explain what that is here in a moment, but if you're not hungry and thirsty after righteousness, most likely you're not spiritually alive. You're like a dead man. Dead, dead men don't hunger. They're not hungry anymore. They're not thirsty anymore. We're the same way if we're not hungry and thirsty after righteousness. So a couple things about hunger and thirst. They're necessary and they're good. They're constant and consistent, right? I mean, he picks something that um, he picks something that you have every day, right? And it's primary. Listen, you take a hungry man and you can bring him a new car. You can bring him a new house. You can get him new clothes. You can give him all. He could care less. What does he want? He wants food. There's only one thing that can satisfy a hungry man, and that's food. There's only one thing that can satisfy spiritual hunger and thirst, and that's righteousness. That's it. That's the only thing. Now, one quick thing before I leave. I want to say this. Isn't it interesting that Jesus commends hungering and thirsting after righteousness instead of having righteousness? He could have said, blessed are those who are righteous, but he didn't. He said, blessed are those who want righteousness, who, who, are so, who want it so bad that they hunger and they thirst for it. Now, why did he say that? I think it's because if Jesus would have said, blessed are those who possess righteousness, every Jew listening to him that day would have said, yep, that's me. <laughs> you remember the two men that walked into the temple? One is a Jew and he stands there and he says, man, I'm a good dude, Right? I tithe, I fast, I come to church every Sunday, I, I, I work on the usher team. You know, every once in a while when, when, when somebody's out, I'll teach Sunday school. I mean, I'm a good person. And then there's the tax collector on the other side, and it says he wouldn't even lift up his head, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went home righteousness. See, it's not people that have righteousness who, who, are, who think they're righteous that are blessed. It's people who know they aren't righteous and they want it more than anything in the world. Those are the blessed people. See, we'll talk about that in a second. It's not people, if you're sitting here tonight thinking, well, I'm, I've already got it, there's probably something wrong. There's really probably something wrong. It's the people who want it that he says are happy. Now, what is this thing that we need like food for our spiritual life. What is this thing that Jesus said we can't be happy without? Because, by the way, the word blessed, if you've been here, means happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst. What is this thing that we have to hunger and thirst for? This thing is called righteousness. Now, 
There are two types of righteousness in the Bible, okay? And we got to figure out which one he means. The first type of righteousness in the Bible is what we call imputed righteousness. And that word impute means to credit, okay? So here's the thing. I hope you guys know this. Um, I, I can't be sure anymore. Every time I see a survey, more and more people believe Jesus wasn't sinless. But the Bible teaches us that Christ came to this earth and He lived as a man. And though He was tempted exactly like we are, in all ways as we are, the Bible says, He was without sin. In other words, He lived the perfect life that you and I fail to live every single day, right? In fact, here's the, here's the scripture, uh, Hebrews 4.15, For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus came, not only did He die for our sins, but He lived a perfect life. And what the Bible teaches us is that everyone who will put their faith in Him and turn from their sin, God will take His perfect life that He lived and He'll credit it to your account. That's insane. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like, why would he do that? But that's exactly what the Bible says. Look at Romans three twenty-one to 22. It says, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested or made known apart from the law. Here's what he's saying. You used to think the way we got righteousness was by keeping the law, uh, keeping the rules. And that didn't work. Why? Because we fail every single day. We break the rules. So Paul says, oh, here's the way you get the righteousness of God. Apart from working for it, it's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, put your faith in Him and God credits His righteousness to you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. I call this the great exchange. He took our sin and He gave us His righteousness. He took our sin and He gave us His righteousness. Now that's imputed righteousness. That means we get credited for something He did. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. I don't think He's talking about this. I think He's referring to more than that. What I think He's referring to here is what's called practical righteousness. And the word practical comes from the word practice. This isn't something that gets credited to us even though we didn't do it, this is something that we actually uh, do. You see, those who have been made righteous by Christ have imputed righteous. We've been born again. We've got the Spirit of God and Christ living inside of us. We're going to naturally hunger and thirst to do righteous works, to do good works. Now, let me stop right here, as I always do, because, again, I never know who's here and, and all this. Anytime we talk about good works... We have to be explicitly clear that in Christianity, good works are not why we're saved. Now, by the way, that's what every other religion teaches. Every other religion you go out and find teaches that in order for you to be saved, you've got to do this and this and this and this. It's what Islam teaches. It's what Buddhism teaches. It's what Catholicism teaches. It's what Mormonism teaches. It's what the Jehovah's Witness teaches. They all teach. You've got to have works. That's not what Christianity teaches. Christianity teaches that you are saved by grace alone. 
God does it, not you. There's nothing. Remember what I said to start out. You're poor in spirit. We're spiritually beggars. We got nothing, God. Just have mercy. And he does. But after he saves us, guess what? We have to produce good works. Good works are not the root of salvation. They're the fruit of salvation of someone that's already made righteous in God. Let me give you a scripture, Ephesians 2.10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Say it with me, those three words. For good works. See, we're not saved by good works, but folks, we are certainly saved for good works. We are certainly saved for good works. James 2, 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers, if, if someone says he has faith but don't have works? Can that faith save him? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You see, if our faith does not produce a hunger for righteousness, if our faith does not produce a hunger for good works, folks, your faith ain't faith. It ain't faith. I don't know what it is, but it ain't real, true, believing faith. Because Paul says we are saved by him for good works. James says faith apart from works, it's a dead faith. So we have to, as Christians, there has to be a desire in us to walk in righteousness and walk in, um, in good works. Now here's the question. Which of those does Jesus mean? Does he mean an imputed righteousness that we get from Christ, or does he mean a practical righteousness that you and I walk out every single day? Well, I think he means practical righteousness. Why do I think that? Okay, Here's why. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses this word, I think, five times, at least five times. Let me give you some other examples. Uh, Matthew 5.10. This fact is only four verses from now. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, let me tell you, you're not persecuted for righteousness that's credited to you. You're persecuted because you're different. I was reading today about the cake maker guy out in Oregon. Y'all know that guy that they wanted him to make a cake, and he said no, and, and they, I mean, he went all the way to Supreme Court. Listen, if he, nobody cares what he believes in his head. Nobody cares. It's what he actually believes and walks out in his everyday life. That's what they don't like. If you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake, it's not a it's not a accredited righteousness. It's a righteousness that you're out there walking in every day, being different from the world, holding up a mirror to them that shows them who they really are. That's what you're persecuted for. So he certainly, in this case, means practical righteousness. Here's another one, Matthew 5.20. Jesus said, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, how, which one's he talking about here? Well, if you go read this, as soon as he makes this statement, he immediately gives six illustrations on how our righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees, Pharisees by the way, who were scrupulous law keepers. I mean, they were scrupulous law keepers. He said, you better be better than them. You have to be better than them. Let me give you the six illustrations. In verses 21 to 26, he says, Yeah, you, the Bible says, the Word says, you must not kill. But he says, more than that, you need to seek peace. In other words, there's two men have a, have a fallen out. And the Bible says, don't kill. And that's where the Pharisees stop. Jesus said, no, not only do you not kill, you go to that man and make peace with him. 
you go above and beyond what the Bible, what the Old Testament said. In verses 27 32, it says we must not commit adultery. But Jesus said, more than that, you shouldn't even look on a woman with lust. Jesus never lowers the bar. Jesus always raises the bar for righteousness. In verses 31 to 32, he says we should, he says we shouldn't not divorce just because there's a legal provision for it in the Old Testament. More than that, keep your covenants. Keep your, be a people that keeps your covenant commitments. I love this next one. We're going to talk about this in a, in a few weeks. In verses 33 to 37, you know that verse where he says, don't swear? You know the Bible says, don't take an oath, don't swear? Do you know why? What he's saying there is he says, be more, he says, not only should you keep your oath, you should be the type of person that doesn't need to take an oath for people to believe you. Now think about that. Not only should you not take an oath, or if you do take an oath, keep it, you should be the kind of person that you don't need to take oaths because you're the kind of person that wouldn't lie, that would never not tell the truth. You should never have to put your hand on something and swear on it so people believe you. They should just believe you because that's who you are. Finally, in verses 38 to 42, the eye for an eye. He says, not only should you not poke out somebody else's eye just because they poked out your eye, in fact, you should turn the other cheek. He keeps raising the bar. And finally, in verses 43 to 48, he says, Yeah, the Bible says love your neighbor, but you're supposed to love even your enemies. So this is a righteousness that exceeds that. See, the Pharisees just followed the rules. That's all they were. They were rule followers. It was never on the inside. What Christ wants us to be is people who are righteous because that's who we are on the inside, not because the book says to do it. Matthew 6, 1. Here's another one. Still in the Sermon on the Mount. Beware of practicing your righteousness. Now that's pretty simple, right? Beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people so they'll see you and say, wow, what a great guy he is or what a, what a great woman she is. In fact, if you go read that, immediately following, he gives three examples, giving, praying, and fasting. When you give, this is how you should give. When you pray, this is how you should pray. When you fast... This is how you should fast. He's talking about practical righteousness. He's talking about how you walk out your, your, your righteousness every single day. So here's what he's saying. Happy are those who hunger and thirst to be different. To be a people who do what's right, who do righteousness, not because the rules say they have to. They do it because that's who you are on the inside. We hunger and thirst to be different. Now, one quick question. I, you know, sometimes when I'm reading this, I'll ask myself questions. He said, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why didn't he say, happy are those who hunger and thirst for God? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. First of all, surely he means God's righteousness, right? In Matthew 6.33, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. So this righteousness we're seeking... Is, 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 is His righteousness, right? He means a righteousness like God. In fact, it's a righteousness that only God Himself can give. But there's another reason I, don't think, I think He doesn't say this. And by the way, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're not looking to ourselves. Man, I've got to be better. I, if I can just know. 
when we really hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're, we're always looking up. God, you've got to do this because I can't do it. Right? So it's not either or. It's not like if I need righteousness, I, I, I have to go look somewhere else. No, if I need righteousness, I look to, I to God. But here's the other reason. And this is the other reason I think he doesn't say that because of how the sermon ends. If you all know how the sermon ends, Jesus goes through all this stuff. And at the very end, he says that. He says this, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In other words, you workers of unrighteousness. Now that is a sobering scripture right there. What he's saying is there's going to be people in the last day that said, but I went to church. I taught Sunday school. I tithed. I, 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 I did this. I did that. I was a good person. And he said, but I never knew you. See, the fact is you were hungry for something, but it wasn't righteousness. You weren't wanting to be like me. You were wanting to, to get some kind of, for society to pat you on the back or your friends to pat you on the back or you did it out of duty or whatever reason you did it for, you weren't hungry and thirsty for righteousness. In fact, he calls them evildoers. Not doers of good, but doers of, of evil. So I think the point here is, see, satisfaction never comes from religion. There's a lot of people out there that said they love God. There's a lot of people out there say they know God. A lot of people out there say they serve God. But see, that's not enough. Satisfaction comes from wanting to be like Him. It's not, you can't be satisfied with just going to church. You can't be satisfied with just doing the, 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 the things that people do. There is a hunger and a thirst inside of you that wants to be like Him. I mean, and when He says a hunger and a thirst, it's like it just can't be quenched. I don't want those other things. I want Him. I want to know Him. I want to be like Him. That's where the satisfaction comes, going after Him, but not just in a vertical relationship, but in a righteousness. Now, here's the last thing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They shall be satisfied. Early on, on this lesson, I, I put this slide up, and I don't know if y'all noticed something, but... I, it, what I said is actually a paradox. You know, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The Bible's full of paradoxes. And a paradox is a statement that seems like it can't be true, but in actuality, it is true. And I said in this statement, Jesus has something to say about how we satisfy an insatiable hunger. When you, when you think about it, you can't satisfy something that's insatiable, Right? Or something that's insatiable can't be satisfied. That's by the very definition. But that's exactly what Jesus is doing. And again, here's a paradox. You hunger and thirst after this thing called righteousness. And you're satisfied, but yet you're not quite satisfied. What do I mean by that? It's hard to explain. I was trying to come up with explanations. Uh, every, um, every year on my birthday, my wife makes me that cake. Every year. It's a 12-layer chocolate cake. She makes it once a year. And she, you know, she, she gets out there, man, she makes these little thin little cake layers, and she puts one on and icing, and she puts another on and icing, and it's that fudge icing. And if any of y'all have ever had it, it is unbelievable, right? 
And here's the thing, you know, she's making it and I'm sitting there, man, and I'm, I'm licking the, I'm licking the, the icing out of the bowl, you know, and she, and it's done and, and when she pours it on, it's still all runny and she's like, no, you gotta wait till it sets up and it's just killing me. And finally, finally it's time to cut and I go to the ice, to the refrigerator and I get a big tall glass of milk and I take that piece of cake and I eat it. And man, it is so satisfying. But guess what? Even when I'm done, I'm thinking, boy, tomorrow morning for breakfast, I'm going to get me a piece of that cake and a, and a cup of coffee. And we'll eat on that cake for two weeks, man. For I mean, breakfast, lunch, dinner. It's like it's so satisfying, but yet it doesn't. Does that make sense? That's See, our hunger and thirst for righteousness, it never stops. It's not like we get to a point in our life and say, well, I'm as righteous as I'm going to get. I'm, I'm pretty much filled up. No. No, you're, you're, you're satisfied every step of the way, but every step of the way you want more. You, you want more virtue. You want more holiness. You want more purity. You want more courage and patience and kindness and mercy and love and forgiveness. You never get to the place where you arrive, and yet at the, wherever you are in the journey, you're completely satisfied. It's just a hard thing to explain. It's a desire to be more and more like Jesus. Listen, that is the mark of a Christian. That is what you were called. In fact, the Bible says that's what you were predestined to do. Become more and more like Jesus. Listen, the fact is, every single one of us here that's born again, we should hunger more to be like Him today than we did 20 years ago or 10 years ago or 5 years ago. We should want more. We should want more. In fact, I don't know about your life, but in, I find in my life, the older I get, those extraneous things just get less and less and less and less important. And He becomes more and more and more primary. Now, I want to leave here tonight giving you some tests because I think it's important that you have to ask yourself the question, am I hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Am I really hungry and thirsty after righteousness? I'm going to give you four or five tests, okay? They're pretty, they're pretty simple things. Here's the first one. Are you dissatisfied with yourself or are you satisfied with yourself? Are you dissatisfied with yourself? Now, listen, there's a lot of people that are dissatisfied with how they look. That's not what I'm talking about, right? I, I don't mean that. What I mean, are you a Romans 7 man or woman? Everybody know what Romans 7 is? Go home and read it tonight. Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I'm doing. And the things that I want to do, those are the things that I'm not doing. Who will deliver me from this body of sin? That was Paul. That was Paul. The man who had, had went to heaven and seen revelation and visions. He, he saw Christ Jesus on the road to Damascus. That's Paul. How much more, you and I? Are you satisfied with who you are? Or do you constantly find yourself going to the Lord thinking, what's wrong with me? Why, why, what's wrong with me? If, if you're dissatisfied with that part, it's a good chance that you are hungry and thirsty after righteousness. Here's another question. Does anything external satisfy you? When, when you're feeling that restlessness, when you're feeling that longing... Does it, do you, you know, do you go buy a new, you know, new car? Do you take a vacation? 
Do, do you try to satisfy that with, with something from the external? Listen, it's like I said a while ago. You bring a hungry man anything other than food, and he's, all he wants is food. A hunger for righteousness only is satisfied with righteousness. Nothing else will ever satisfy it. But if you find yourself being feeling better by external things, there's probably, there's probably something, something wrong. Here's another one. Do you have an appetite for the Word of God? Now, this is a really, really, really good test. Jeremiah 15, 6 said this, Your words were found, and I ate them. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. And then, of course, Jesus in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8, 3. As Christians that hunger for, for, for righteousness, we should, I mean, we should go to that Bible and eat it up. It's everything to us. Because it's telling us about God, it's telling us about Christ, it's telling us about who He is and how we can be like Him, and we just can't get enough of it. Number four, are all things sweet to you? Now, here's what I mean by that. Proverbs 27, 7 says this, One who is full loathes or hates honey, but to one who is hungry, even the bitter is sweet. You get real full, right? You, you know, they can put anything in front of you. You're like, man, I just can't do it. When you get really hungry, you'll eat things you don't even like. Seriously. You get really hungry, you'll eat things that, you know, normally you, but you're so hungry, yeah, give it to me, man. In Romans 5, 5, Paul says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Are you one of those that even when the pain comes into your life, it can taste sweet because you know it's coming from Him and He's using it to produce righteousness? Or do you fight and push back with everything in you against painful things? See, somebody that's hungry and thirsty for righteousness and suffering comes in their life, they realize immediately, okay, I mean, I, would I rather not do that? Sure. But if this is God's will for me and it's going to produce righteousness in my life, then let's go. Let's go. One final thing. I almost didn't put... I, in some of my study, I don't know where I found this. <laughs> and I wrote it down real quick and then I forgot where I found it so I can't quote whoever said it. And I almost didn't... I thought, well, I don't need to put that up there. But then I thought, well, I'm going to put it up there. Here's a statement. If you're unhappy in your life, somewhere along the line, you're unholy. If you're unhappy in your life, somewhere along the line, you're unholy. See, Jesus said, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, the, the, what's going to happen is you're going to be satisfied and you're going to be happy. If you're not happy, then it's probably because the righteousness is not in your life. You're certainly not hungering and thirsting for that. Let's pray. Father, as always, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. What an incredible <clears throat> word it is. And God, let me just say uh, right here that as, uh, th th sometimes when I read this, Lord, I, it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just torn because... The reality of it is, is that we're all sinners. 
And the reality of it is, is that we all fall short. But God, I also pray that there's a hunger in each and every one of us to be more than that. To be more than where we are today. To be more like you tomorrow than we are today. Father, I pray if there's anyone here tonight and that hunger is not in them. God, do something. Do something. I can't do it. Words won't do it. Only the Spirit of God can, 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 can break up that fallow ground. Only the Spirit of God can take a stony heart and turn it into flesh. God, I pray you do it tonight. If there's anyone here that's satisfied with the external things of the world, if there's anyone here that keeps trying to fill that hole with stuff, if there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you, I pray tonight, I pray this night, God, somehow take this word and create a new heart in them. God, somehow take this word and make a a difference. For those of us that are Christians at River of Life, God, I pray in the days and weeks to come that our thirst for righteousness will exceed anything that we've ever known. That God will be a people that are different and everybody will know that we're different because of the way that we walk and live our lives. God, help us to be Christians. Help us to be little Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.